Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Happy Wednesday night. This is Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot coming to you with a packed edition of the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast on our staple Wednesday night show. We're so excited. We have we have a lot of talent uh, coming on the show tonight. We're going out to Denver to preview the game of Anthony Moreno, and we have you know John Scott as as well, um, uh, my buddy. What's up, my friend? How are you? It's good to see you. Good, good. As I was saying beforehand, I. I... I put a new addition behind me here. So that's if anyone wants to watch, this is the reason here. The auto uh, Blue Jays cut out. I will say I'd probably prefer you take auto and just like hold them in front of you. <laughs> we could just have it like we had Bruce Nolan on last week. We had the like the True. image. We could just have auto on the screen. I'm sure Heather would appreciate it. Um, right. <laughs> but this is the uh, the Shout Bills podcast, like I mentioned, brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, your neighborhood store with more. And we're going to. We're going to go into a whole host of things tonight. This is going to be an expanded version of the podcast because usually we like to do, you know, we, we promised you guys three shows a week. Well, this this week's a little bit different. It's going to be kind of truncated. We haven't been able to be out at the facility at all this week. They, they brought practice inside. So we're going to do everything all in one. It's going to be a long show. You know, get comfortable. Maybe put it, put it. Uh, cast it up to your TV, make some popcorn, and we'll get into a lot of stuff. Now, let me ask you, uh, first of all, let me welcome to the show Mr. Ryan Talbot. How are you feeling tonight, my friend? Hey, doing great on this end. Uh, not too thrilled with all the snow, but I guess we were overdue. Now, in Olean, are you guys getting pounded? Because we're just getting kind of like a dusting right now. Uh, I think we're getting a little bit more than the areas around us. Uh, for example, Salamanca usually gets more than we do, and we're actually getting a little bit more than they are right now, which is a little bizarre. Nice. Did you go to golfing today, John? You, you know, not, weather doesn't usually stop you, right? I mean, I, I saw you out there a couple weeks ago in the rain. It looked disgusting, and I texted you something inappropriate, probably. And um, <laughs> I think actually, I got out after Thanksgiving. I thought that would be the last time. I think I got out. What? No, that Thanksgiving was my last time. I was going to go like a week or two ago when it was like 50 on Friday. I actually think it was last Friday. Uh, but I was worried that it'd be a little too wet. And uh, so I'm officially ending my golf season until 
we get a nice 50 degree day in February. <laughs> That's good. That's good. You know, just, you know, take a couple, couple, you know, months off. You've earned it. I mean, you were out there stroking it this season. We played a couple of rounds over at Glen Oak. I, I got the, I got the old stick out this year. I, I, I was pretty happy with myself. I didn't play a lot. I, see, I'm not right. I'm not good at like golf, like in terms of like playing the game as a whole, but I like to grip it and rip it. And I was feeling it all year to the point where, you know, Mr. Muscles here was like, kind of looking over to me kind of like, man, I wish I could, I wish I could hit the fairway like that. So it was, it was a good year for me on the, on the golf course. Yeah. It's I mean, nice. it wasn't really great for me in the sense of like, I wasn't always scoring well, but I mean, especially during all of this to be able to get out on the course and spend a few hours, uh, you know, with some pops and uh, with the boys, I mean, you really can't complain. Now, if you guys aren't familiar with John Scott, maybe you're watching this for the first time and you haven't landed on his Twitter profile, I don't like to give him too much credit. Uh, you know, we're, we're good friends and I like to give him a hard time, but he is actually somebody that you should be following. I think he does an absolutely outstanding job uh, on the beat. He's always got great video content. Not so much this year. You still have the good video content. I mean, like it's different this year in that we're not really – you know, in the same, we don't, we don't really have the same kind of opportunities to cover the team. So I guess from that perspective, I wanted to ask you how frustrating has this year been from a video standpoint? I mean, you know, of course we've missed being in the locker room from a, you know, print side of things, but you know, from a video storytelling side of things, it's gotta be tough to do this in the, in the COVID age. It is. And, and, you know, I mean, just from an interview standpoint, it, I, you know, not only just from a video quality standpoint, but it, you kind of have a, a better flow of things when you're in person here rather than a zoom as has been well documented by you. And, and I, you know, internet issues sometimes it's a little bit of a lag, so it disrupts the flow there. It, it just, from that standpoint, it's not as personal of a connection as, as we get when you could do those things in person on top of the fact, just from a locker room access side of things, we are to the most extent at the will of who the bills decide that we are going to talk to during the week. Whereas when we have locker room access, if you want to go talk to someone else or do a side story that no one else is interested in, you can just go do that whenever and however you feel you can take up someone's time for longer uh, than if you're in a zoom. Yes, we can request guys one-on-one, -on -one, but with everything that we're going through, it's, it's a much tougher task. And then from a video standpoint, we're, we're when we are allowed to practice outside, our access points is limited to one side of the field. So for instance, people may not have noticed, but you don't really have much video of the offensive line and you don't see very much video of the defensive line because they're a hundred yards plus away from all of us here. The people that are the closest to us are when they're doing the passing game drills, the DBs linebackers are kind of there, but the farther they go down the field, it's not that easy. Whereas typically we have pretty free reign to literally run the entire or be around the entire perimeter of all of the practice fields at one bill's drive. So in that sense, it has been challenging and different and unique. Uh, but all of us print radio TV, we, we've all adapted and, and kind of understood the limitations and navigated our way around still producing the content that we can. Uh, we're going to get into some bill stuff here in transition in a second, but before we do, like I was, I was talking to, um, I believe it was Sal Capaccio one day, I'm like, man, Twitter has been such an awesome place the last couple of weeks. I don't know what, I can't really put my finger on it. And then I realized, oh, John Scott is, has not been on Twitter. He couldn't get into his account. It was great. 
no, what happened? Tell me a little bit about that and how, how now you're back and you're back in a big way. Yeah. So uh, over a month ago at this point, uh, I got a DM from our meteorologist, Kaylee Wentz on Twitter and verified accounts. And Kaylee's a good friend of mine, even prior to when she was working here, became working at, at Spectrum News with me. Uh, so I didn't really think anything of it. It was a Saturday night. And I'm like, oh, you know, whatever. I clicked it. It's like an Instagram login. I'm like, this is so strange. Didn't really think anything of it. Then I try to log in on Sunday morning before a Bills game. And it's saying my password is incorrect. And then it's saying the email associated with my account is incorrect. Well, I come to find through Kaylee that it's a Twitter virus that she had gotten from another reporter at another station here in Buffalo. And by the time kickoff happened, I told other people in the press box and things like that, found out Ed Werder from ESPN dealt with the same thing. So there was an ESPN wide memo saying, do not click on this link. Eric Wood uh, had, was dealing with it. And he was off Twitter for weeks and weeks. And we were going back and forth with trying to figure it all out. I mean, it was a widespread virus that took down me and some other people I work with and other people all across the country and just over a month. So I got back, I think it was a week ago or something. Uh, I finally got my access back and I got to tell you, it, it's, it's bittersweet uh, being out there. Cause obviously it's such a huge part of the way we cover the team and things like that. And I love the content that usually only finds its way on Twitter. It doesn't necessarily make it on air and, and whatnot, but there are some moments I get mistaken my handle for the Fox News anchor. So a lot of whether you're pro-Trump or anti-Trump, I get these most random, ridiculous, almost shouting at me things in regards to whatever side of the political. But man, I just cover the bills, man. I just right. cover the bills. I usually come back with some quip of like, "Wow, I didn't know Josh Allen was worried about the deficit," or you know, something like that. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing, but it, it was uh, it was really strange, and I actually missed being on Twitter, which I know at points on a daily basis, I'm sure we all say, I wish this website would crash and burn forever. <laughs> huh. Well, speaking of Twitter, though, the national media is all over the bills on Twitter. Everywhere you look, the outlets are talking about Buffalo. So it's almost kind of wild to see. You've been covering this team for about seven years now, correct? Yeah. Just just how remarkable is it to see how far along this build has come over those seven years? Now, obviously, different tenures over that time, but from where they were when you first started to where they are now. Well, when I started in 2014, it was Doug Marone, and they went nine and seven, albeit Brady sat the second half of the last game that was – one of the asterisks, you could say, as they beat Tom Brady and the Patriots over this 20-year window. But they were trending in the right direction here, albeit they didn't still didn't have their quarterback of the future. They brought in Kyle Orton, bench DJ Manuel. But that team was trending upward. Marone was gaining some momentum. And then, obviously, he up and quit. And, and that was just so shocking that a guy would, would quit and leave. I think it was like $5 million on the table. It just was crazy. So he... He up and quits that obviously resets the counter. Then you go to Rax, who it's just, it's a huge, just sideshow and carnival ride that with, with him, highly entertaining and great for us because there's always something to talk about, but the, you know, they're right in that middle range here. And you just, I, I was able to quickly relate with Bill's fans who have been lifelong fans of the team or people who've been covering the team longer than me. 
because being a Clevelander, I can relate to a lot of the disappointment here and lack of success, but it, things were just so, they were so topsy-turvy and, and always just crazy, but they were never like really, really bad. So they were always into it as you got to the final month of the season, but you're like, this team really isn't that good. Um, so it, it it's interesting, and you just never had faith in any of the people that were in the key positions. You didn't have faith in the head coach. You didn't have faith in the quarterback. You didn't know if they had any direction at the top, and it just had this revolving door feeling of they hire Sean McDermott. Well, who's Sean McDermott? I mean, he's a defensive coordinator. Why is he going to be any different than any of these other people before? Why is Brandon Bean going to be different than Doug Whaley? Why is Josh Allen, the guy that was the least talked about and heralded quarterback from that draft class, why is he going to be the one to turn things around? And then through two years, you're like, eh, I mean, they got really lucky in, in 17 and Josh's, you know, whatever. But then last year, you started to see them making strides. And this year, we all, I think, agreed were was however far Josh Allen takes a step forward is how far this team is going to take a step forward. And it's remarkable. It's funny. I actually texted Andy Young, a guy who's covered the team with me ever since I got here in 14. And I'm like, for years, every year I've covered this team, every week you talk about the quarterback, whether it's EJ Manuel, Kyle Orton, Matt Castle, Tyrod Taylor, Nathan Peterman. Every week you're talking about the quarterback. Honestly, I don't talk about Josh Allen every single week because what more is there to say about him that is anything different than what we've seen early on, certainly, and when he has some some ebbs and flows. But to me, that's the most astounding thing here is you have to search a little bit deeper to find some of these stories because I wondered what it would be like covering a good team and how you conjure up content. That is what I'm trying to figure out and I'm learning to do here. There certainly are still a lot of interesting things here, but, but I don't think this whole, we don't have to hammer uh, the nail with Josh Allen is an improved, really, really good quarterback unless he does something even bigger or falls back a little bit that really dictates that. For me and Ryan, I'd like to know your thoughts on this too. The biggest difference with this year's team and, and the kind of trajectory that they've been on all year is that, I go to the end of November and these early December games and, you know, the big wins. I mean, San Francisco and Pittsburgh back to back on prime time. Those are massive wins. And really when the game mattered the most, neither game was ever in doubt. I mean, you go back years and years and years. I can't remember what year it was, but it was the Dallas Monday night game when the bills came out on Monday night and they were just flying and they were just, they were, they're beating up the Cowboys on national TV. I was watching it back. Uh, my, my wife and I had just started dating. Uh, we might've been actually engaged at that point. We were watching it with a bunch of friends at the house and you know, everybody was just celebrating. Like this was our big shiny moment. This was the city announcing it's here. And then Dallas, just slaps the city of Buffalo in the face. And it's one of those just, you know, those memories that you always have. I mean, obviously I don't put that in the same as the, as, as the Super Bowls, but you know, it's been like that for years and years and years. And to your point, John, it's always been like, you know, this, the bills never bottomed out really. And even when they did bottom out, they didn't bottom out well enough to, you know, get, find the quarterback and, and, and find a new direction this season, Ryan, these two games 
that's what really has me believing that this is different and this is a real contender because they went out against two good teams, albeit dealing with their own issues. All teams in this league are most weeks. I mean, look at the Chiefs last week against the Dolphins. But this just feels different. Oh, it absolutely feels different. You mentioned it. I mean, that was the George Wilson interception game, that that Monday night game. And then there was the other one in uh, 09, I believe, when they had T.O. The first game, Bills are up 10 on the Patriots week one. Hey, this is going to be the team that's going to actually compete. And then Leotis McKelvin fumbles and they blow that game. We've seen it time and time again where the Bills get in these big primetime matchups. They actually fare pretty well early on. And then late in the game, they just kind of give it away. It's almost like uh, the Chargers of the last few years. The Chargers are always in these games. They're competing. They're almost winning, and then they give it away. And we've seen that so many times. I think a lot of fans were still expecting that to a certain extent this year. When is the bottom going to fall out on this team to the point where, uh uh-oh, Miami's catching up to them? Or are the Patriots a serious contender? And and it's not happening. Back-to-back wins, like you said. Three games left against the Broncos, who – uh, are, are depleted in that secondary, to put it kindly, uh, against the Dolphins, a team that Josh Allen has had a ton of success against in Week 17, and obviously uh, the Patriots right in between there. So the Bills control their own destiny, which is something else that's a lot different. It's usually also, let's t- take a look at that laundry list of who needs to win and who needs to lose for the Bills to get into the playoffs or to to uh, get in this week. And, and now it's just all in their own hands. So it's a huge change from what we've seen. Uh, in the last decade plus. Let's move on a little bit because I want to I want to dive into a couple different topics with you here tonight, John. And one of them specifically is the national narrative that started to develop. And you know, you're somebody that's you know been in the NFL, uh, covering the NFL for you know almost a decade now. Uh, been around uh, different professional sports in different cities, and you know, like you mentioned, you have this unique outsider's perspective, but with a similar plight, you know, being a a Cleveland Browns fan, Cleveland sports fan uh, all your life. And the national narrative on the bills is interesting in that it really hasn't, hadn't flipped despite whatever was coming out of the local market, as we've talked about, you know, year after year after year. And and it's the the question I get on asked every show that I go on is, all right, are the bills for real? What's going on with Josh Allen going back to, early 2019. And I'd say all these positive things and I'd get all these kind of funny responses, but now you, you have Colin Cowherd coming out today or yesterday, I believe, and saying that the bills are the best team in the NFL better than the chiefs. All right, let's, let's dial things back. Colin. Well, actually maybe that's a tad bit much of a request for Colin who said that Josh Allen in July didn't even deserve to be a top 200 player. What do you make of all of the noise that is the national narrative and, and and just now the belief in this Bills team and how this Bills team might react to that, handle that moving forward? Well, let's be real. I, the Bills weren't on national TV and primetime spots very much until this season. So whenever anyone commented on what the Bills were or were not, they probably were doing it based on random highlights that they would see. And we all know, especially on social media, especially with Josh Allen, the first two years, very rarely did you see any of his top-end throws. You sure as heck would always see the worst of his performances, even if it was a random first-down play in the third quarter of a close game. Someone would find an errant throw, put it out there, and boom. And again, with Josh Allen, 
if you thought a certain way about him before he was drafted, until this season, you probably, unless you were someone who did watch the games, most people weren't, if you were an outsider, didn't see much of him, just looked at his stat line and saw the end of the Houston game, you probably said, well, this is the guy I thought he was. He's inaccurate. He's too reckless. He doesn't hold on to the ball, and he's not a franchise quarterback. And if he's not the franchise quarterback, then the Bills are are just a, a flash in the pan with a good defense, and, and they're going to have to start over an offense like they have for 20 years. This year, they're doing it on a bigger stage, to your point earlier, Matt, that people can see them. They're in time slots, even when they aren't in those primetime time slots. Maybe their game is slid up into there. But when you play Kansas City, yeah, they they didn't win the game. The Tennessee game really dinged them. But since that point forward, they still have had moments, and they have looked like a very good football team led by Josh Allen looking like a very good quarterback. So that, to me, is where things have shifted. I just think it's essentially people are more educated in the way that they're formulating their opinions on this football team because the Bills are a better team. The Bills, I think a lot of us understood what they were last year. This year, there was the questions of Josh. We saw it early on because it's what we do and we're here in this area, but it took a couple weeks down the line for people to see what Josh Allen can do. And yeah, I think it's no coincidence Colin Coward sees it against San Francisco and sees 375 at 80%, four touchdowns, no interceptions, and then sees what he does against a Pittsburgh defense in the second half, 14 to 20, two touchdowns over 150 yards. That's why I think things are changing for a lot of people, certainly not everyone. Great stuff. Um, I was kind of reading some some stuff over in the chat section, which is cool feature of our all of our live podcasts is interaction um, with the listener, which we always appreciate you guys coming on, joining us, uh, taking part in the show. This is the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. If this is your first um, first time here, uh, thank you for for joining us. You can find us on all of the um, uh, podcast networks: Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Apple. All of them. Subscribe there. You'll get them all uh, directly to your phone. You get a notification. All right. So one of the big things happening, you know, in Bill's Twitter today, and there's a ton of comments, you know, in, in here about it. So I think we we probably should just address that really quick. Um, Dominique Fox Foxworth and uh, Bomani Jones recently had a speaking of you know the national conversation. They've recently had uh, a podcast together and. You know, basically the long and short of it is, you know, D Dominic Foxworth came out and said that, you know, sometimes he, he, he roots against Josh Allen or enjoys the bad plays that he makes because of some of the fans that he's seen in his mentions that defend Josh Allen uh, to him. And I, correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, when Mel Kuyper went on his rant the other day, Foxworth was one of the guys laughing in that video, right? I believe so. There, Yeah. So, Ryan Clark. Yeah. So... I think Ryan Clark was on there too. Uh, you know, you know, there was a few people on that panel that obviously were not Josh Allen enthusiasts. Enthusiasts, and I think it's important to remind everybody here. I mean, there's a lot of these folks uh, around, scattered around the national media that you know, you know, whether or not you had a certain take on Josh Allen, you you tend to cling to that. Well, 
obviously, uh, over the last couple of days, this, this story has taken on a life of its own to the point where, you know, Bills fans responded. They got uh, things going with a, a charity, uh, Bomani Jones charity. Uh, they, they started a dono- donation drive to that. That kind of got things sparked up. And then John Feliciano and um, Jordan Poyer uh, came out today directly um, calling out ESPN and um, uh, Foxworth for these uh, uh, comments. So I guess let's throw it out there. Let's let's talk a little bit about it. What are your reactions to this and and how this uh, how this has transpired? For a former uh, NFL cornerback, he still has his back pedal based on his comments to, to Jordan Poyer. Um, you know, he, he kind of went with, uh, oh, you know, no one's no one that I respect is taking these comments seriously. And that, that I guess that's what kind of bothers me the most. If you're going to stick with something, you know, don't don't backpedal away from it. If, if that's what you truly think, that's how you truly feel, th- then, you know, th- that's your opinion. It, it's it's probably not the the best place and, and and way to describe an entire fan base to to say that everyone is a certain way uh but but at the same time he, he's already kind of shying away from that which i guess maybe bothers me quite a bit or, or maybe the most of this whole thing you can't you can't generalize any large group it doesn't matter if you're talking about a fan base or, or, or any again, large group of life or or people or or whatever. Like it's just, that's where you get into trouble because as we understand, you're wrong. Anyone, no one can lump thousands and thousands of people and it doesn't even necessarily need to be that large of a group. You can't, you cannot do that. And again, if we all are on Twitter, I don't get it nearly as much as other people here, but if you take the small part of what some knuckleheads on social media say and the way that they act and respond and, and then assume that that's how an entire group is like, that's just being dumb. I mean, I think we're all mature and understanding and understand the landscape of social media and the positions that we are in, in the media with not nearly the reach that someone like Foxworth has to me, when you say things like that, you know what you're doing. You know what you're doing, and whether or not – I'm not going to say he said it just to get attention. He probably said it because he meant it. But whenever you make something that bold of a statement, especially when it puts anyone, but especially a large, passionate group of people, and you portrays them in a negative light, like this is what's going to happen. And Ryan, to your point, if he's going to say it, he needs to stand by it because – I think if the players weren't the ones coming at him, he wouldn't be backpedaling at all. But it's when the players on the team are directly going to him in the public eye, that's when he's going to backtrack a little bit. And that, that to your point, is what I think bothers me about it is it bothers me that he said it, but it bothers me that the way he's since reacted to the reaction to it. And it, it just it seems weak and it, it just – is stupid. The whole thing is stupid. It never should have been said. Um, and now he is learning in any, I think any fan base, if you talked negative about them would respond, but I, I think he's learning that people in Bill's mafia actually do care about their reputation and they do care that it's more than they won't want to be known as the guys and, or the people I should say, who were thrown through flaming tables. Like they want to be known as a passionate great fan base 
that supports their team and supports it in many, many ways. And they don't want to be lumped in with what other people in the small minority uh, may act like and feel. So to your point, first and foremost, generalization to to what you said, when you lump a, a great, like a big group of people together, you're only going to alienate a portion of that per, of, of that group, especially if what you're saying is wrong. And I think that everybody, depending on, de- depending on what side of this, you kind of look at it from, um, depending on which side you look at this from, you know, I think everybody can agree on a, a couple of things specifically. Number one, it's not good to generalize. And number two, if that was Dominique's experience where somebody came at him with some Josh Allen slander or some uh, defending Josh Allen to maybe some of the slander that he had about his football game. And then he did go and, and, and start looking through his, his profile or her profile, whoever it was. And there was that experience. You know, I think that there is, there should be some understanding for that experience for Foxworth and not only for Foxworth, but members of Bill's mafia that have maybe come out and said, yeah, I have noticed some, some, some racist behavior or uh, a tone to, you know, some commentary on this website. Let's be honest. We've seen some awful things the past year. I mean, on social media, it's kind of where a lot of really nasty stuff goes to live. And I think that how I approach it is I don't want to minimize anybody's experience, but I've also have firsthand knowledge of, you know, the people that are in this city that, you know, root for this team that are online that I've met in person before all of COVID. And I could say to John Feliciano and and, and Jordan Poyer's point, this is a, a fan base in a city filled with great people. And I think that there are bad apples in in every city and county uh, of this country, in every state. And I think to to sit there and say that you're rooting against a guy because a couple fans that you experience, and that's another thing, Dominique Foxworth, man, you're on, you're on ESPN. You deal with millions of people every day. So how many individual Josh Allen supporters have are you actually dealing with? It can't be a huge sample size. So I think to that point, I think it's just got to, I think on both sides of it, and I think that to your point, Ryan, I think he did maybe recognize maybe where he shouldn't have generalized. And I think most um, most people would say that's never a good idea when approaching something like this. I was kind of tossing it back. Yeah, I know. I think we, we've covered this pretty extensively. I think we're, we've all uh, raised some valid points there and, and, at this point, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes if he if he does address it again uh, in another podcast, or or maybe if he does release some kind of statement. Because I, I don't know what is left for him to do other than that at this point in time. And another thing too, before we move on, because I do want to move on, but keep your eye out. Like you know, I think some of the reaction, you know, even within you know, I've seen a couple posts from Bills fans that have said, "Well, I have seen some of this negative." um, you know, behavior, like racist, you know, rhetoric or whatever it is, you know, keep your eye out. You know, that's not something that should be, you know, just ignored or, you know, uh, tolerated because you share, share the same, um, uh, you're the fan, a fan of the same team. If somebody's being hateful to somebody else, that is not right. 
And I, I don't think it ever should be tolerated. So I think that that's a point that if you are reading somebody coming up and saying something positive about, you know, Foxworth's experience here, listen to that. Because I think that's important, especially everything we've seen over the course of the last year. I mean, the entire Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, just open up your ears and listen to what somebody else that may be hurt is feeling. I think that's a good way to live your life. But let's move on to some football stuff. I want to get to, speaking of slander, you know who's gotten a lot of slander over the last couple of years? Baker Mayfield, who is just <laughs> I, I think I shared his his gift the other day where he kind of runs down the sideline and makes a little hand gesture to his coach. I can't remember when that was, but I always got a kick out of it. I'm like, to me, that's Baker Mayfield in a nutshell. And I feel like the last couple of weeks, he's he's kind of done that uh, metaphorically with the way that he's played. Um, it seems like he's rekindled something and no better person to ask than you about that, this Cleveland Browns team, who I think most Bills fans are kind of coming to grips with that could very likely be a playoff opponent. It starts with coaching. And you could say that was the foundation, certainly for the Bills turnaround. And the Browns have found a head coach who is utilizing the strengths of the team that he, ha he has. And Baker Mayfield, I think, was broken last year because Freddie Kitchens did not have a good system, whatever. The Freddie Kitchens experiment was a, was a disaster, and Baker Mayfield drastically regressed. His biggest attribute and best attribute is rookie season when he set an NFL record for most touchdown passes by a rookie. Got to get that in because Justin Herbert's probably going to pass him. But his accuracy and timing was, was impeccable. And last year, it was not. And the beginning part of this year, it was not. The running game is what this Browns team offensively needs to lean on. And that just seems so obvious when you have Nick Chubb. Oh, and you also have Kareem Hunt. Two guys that, well, Hunt has led the league and Chubb's come really, really close to leading the league in rushing. So why wouldn't you? And then you invest heavily in the offensive line. Like that is their identity. It took Stefanski about a month, and he's like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. We're going to run it down your throat. We're going to go a bunch of tight ends, which is what he loved to do in Minnesota. And we're, we're going to almost reel Baker back in, and now they're starting to release him a little bit more. And you saw that in Tennessee when he had a monster game, even in just the first half. And then you saw it against Baltimore as well because confidence-wise, I, I don't know who really could have thought – that that team could rely on Baker Mayfield in that two-minute late-game scenario that we saw the other night to roll down the entire field and score a touchdown, albeit they ultimately lost. But that Baker was not able to shoulder the load like that. And now I think with him getting more confident and him showing more flashes uh, of his ability to place the football and make the right decisions, pair that with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, and the defense is where I honestly think that the Browns have the biggest questions. Their front can be really good with Miles Garrett, Olivier Vernon, and others, but they still in the secondary, Denzel Ward hasn't really been that healthy. Gritty Williams doesn't really play at all because he's been hurt. There are just some questions back there, and you saw when Baltimore was able to roll down the field they were the way they were with Lamar Jackson. So it, it's, it's going to be an interesting thing uh, if we – look at matchup wise uh, that's not a team that matches up well against the bills from a bill standpoint because of their desire to run the football which certainly is the one thing that as good as the bills defense has improved i still think think that they're susceptible to that 
so that would be interesting. But but the Browns showed me something because like we talked about with the Bills earlier, after you've seen for so, so long disappointments on a national stage or just in general, you have no faith that things are going to turn the corner. Why would you? Because you haven't seen that. The Bills have shown that this year. The Browns are still a little step behind. If they would have beat Baltimore, that would have been a big step forward. But I, I think the Browns are still just a little step behind. You're really having faith that this team can make that run. Like the Bills, I think I, I have faith and we have faith that they can do this postseason. Okay. At this point, where would you rank Mayfield in that quarterback class of 2018 compared to Josh Allen and uh, obviously ahead of the Sam Darnolds? But you can throw Lamar Jackson in the mix as well. Josh Allen is the best quarterback in that class as things stand today. But it's so interesting because rookie year it was Mayfield, without a doubt. I mean, he was undoubtedly the best quarterback after the rookie season. Last year, without a doubt, it was Lamar Jackson. This year, without a, without a doubt, it's Josh Allen. So you've seen three different guys at three different points of their early career have all kind of been at the top here. Lamar Jackson, you saw on Monday night, he didn't throw the ball that well and didn't throw it that often, but you saw him be that electric quarterback that was an MVP-type guy. You saw Baker Mayfield on Monday night look more like the guy from 2018. I would put Josh number one. And I honestly think I would put Baker Mayfield number two and Lamar Jackson. My only thing with Lamar is his passing numbers, particularly down the field, which he was pretty good at last year, are, are not the same this year. And as much an electric as he was on Monday night, it was all with his legs. And that's what made him so good in the back end of his rookie season is he produced that element that nobody could stop. What really elevated him to an MVP last year was the guy threw 36 touchdowns, six interceptions, and was at 66% clip. If he can play like that as a passer, then I would maybe even consider him and Allen pretty, pretty close here. But he seems to have regressed passing the football, albeit their weapons are not that great either. So I would put Baker slightly, ever so slightly ahead of Jackson because I feel like Baker's trending up while Jackson's taking a, a little step back. I think to your point, um, you're, I want to talk a little bit about that potential Cleveland-Buffalo matchup, but the quarterbacks in general, or these teams in general, I think both of them are interesting tests. I almost want to see the Bills play both these teams because last year we saw Baltimore really frustrate Josh Allen, and what did they do in that game? They blitzed him aggressively, and you saw in a different way the Pittsburgh have some success with that early, and then in the second half, the Bills figured it out. And I, and I would like to see that matchup and how it plays out this time around because I think the Bills' defense is built to really limit Lamar Jackson. And so if you ask me, okay, how does that matchup play out, I probably take Josh Allen in that matchup. Now, if Cleveland and Buffalo play, I feel like – I think I think Baker Mayfield could have some success. I'm not sure that I would pick him out dueling – uh, Josh Allen. Not that they would even try to do that, but they. My point is, they might have to because, to your point and the concerns you have about that Cleveland secondary, and we're going to see a team this weekend in the Denver Broncos who have an equally uh, powerful front that struggle now in the secondary with a lot of injuries. How do you cover all these wide receivers? And if you can't, and Josh Allen starts scoring points, 
you almost take a team like Cleveland out, out of their game plan because you're not going to be able to stick with the run because you're going to have to throw to score points. Yeah, that's the interesting thing. But the Browns have also shown that when you know that they're going to run the football, they still can run the football effectively here with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. I mean, that offensive line was a huge focus, completely retooled, bringing in Conklin, drafting Wills. Wyatt Teller has taken a huge step forward uh, since coming over last season from the Bills. So I, I think that they they feel comfortable and confident if it's a you know what we're going to do and it's cold and we're just going to run it and go smash mouth football. I think they're confident that they could do that and do it enough to where Baker doesn't necessarily have to throw it 40, 45 times to win the game. He just has to throw it effectively at, at points. I, it would be a really intriguing matchup. The Bills are a better team than the Browns. There is no doubt in my mind of that. But as we all know in the playoffs, it is about matchups. And it would be a very interesting matchup, I think, for me to see this team because um, the Browns and their running game is is elite. And even though the Bills have shown that when they focus on stopping the run as their number one priority defensively, they're usually pretty good at it. I still would think that, that the Browns offense and the pressure that the Browns defense could present without necessarily blitzing could be an interesting recipe for success against the Bills. We got time for one more topic here before we let you get out of here. Um, we're joined tonight by John Scott from uh, Spectrum News. He's their Buffalo Bills beat reporter uh, over there. And I, I want to bring up Zach Moss because he had himself a really strong, solid fourth quarter and a couple runs on that fourth quarter. The Bills needed. I mean, they were trying to, you know, extend that game or extend their drives, try to run out the clock as much as they could. They were up by two scores late in that fourth quarter, obviously had the much publicized seven minute drive to finish it. And, and Zach Moss kind of asserted himself a bit and they went to him, trusted him down the stretch. So what do you envision now for Zach Moss moving into, you know, this, this next stretch of games at, you know, on the heels of a San Francisco game where he had a big mistake and was, was kind of reeled back a little bit. Outside of that fumble and subsequently being essentially benched for two quarters in that Monday night game against San Francisco, the scale has slightly been tipping Moss's way before that as well. It's not drastic to the point where we saw Zach was the one getting the majority of the carries on that final drive there, but Zach Moss has seemed to be the, the more favored back since the beginning. I mean, even early in the season when they weren't running the ball that much, Moss, at least early on in games, seemed to be the one who was getting more run than Devin Singletary, obviously, than when he got hurt. He, he kind of you know took a back seat, but he reinserted himself to be right there at least even if not slightly ahead of Devin Singletary in snaps and touches and, and carries and things like that. It's interesting to me because I think when he was drafted, as good as Devin Singletary was last year, I, I don't think that that's as surprising to those of us closer to the team that Moss has either been even or slightly above Devin Singletary. Devin hasn't, you know, the run game in general hasn't been that great. It is interesting moving forward. Uh, I think Moss is going to continue to be that guy. And as unless he makes a mistake, I, I imagine him to be that guy who maybe starts 50-50, but maybe is more like a 60-40 guy unless Devin starts producing at a higher clip. All right. 
Well, um, Mr. John Scott, taking 40 minutes out of your Wednesday night, I appreciate it. Uh, I probably took you away from a couple crispy Christmas ales, and I apologize for that. Um, but I'm sure you'll you'll catch up for us after we get off air. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find you, what you got working on. I know that you and Kevin uh, do a weekly show yourself, so let everybody know where they can catch it. Right. So now that I'm back on Twitter, at John Scott TV, J-O-N-S-C-O-T-T. Um, Every Thursday, although it won't, it won't be Thursday the next couple of weeks because of Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, but Kevin Carroll and myself on the Spectrum News Facebook page do a weekly Facebook Live at 6.30, so it, that'll be tomorrow night at 6.30 again on the Spectrum News Facebook page. And I think tomorrow, uh, my last day of working before the game on Saturday, I, I think I'm going to dive into a topic I know Matt's looked into and whatnot and, and do a little talk on Jordan Poyer's nice season. I, nice. I put a good little clip out there uh, on Twitter. That's gotten some good run there of a, a little anecdote. I, I remembered. I did a story with Jordan in 2018 about how he was drafted by the Marlins for major league baseball and, and his decision between baseball and football. And I remember he told me back then that uh, it came down to an, a pick six he had in a, in a like Friday night primetime game against USC and, and he did the house call and he's like, this feeling is just so good. Like this is what I want to do. It's better than a home run. It didn't hit me until a couple weeks ago. I'm like, that quarterback could have been Matt Barkley. And I looked it up and I asked Jordan about it today and, and he had a really good response. Check it out on my Twitter um, about, basically Matt Barkley throwing a pick six is the reason Jordan Poyer chose football and ultimately is on his way to what should be a pro bowl season. So I think we'll dive into that tomorrow and, and get ready for Saturday's game. Beautiful. Well, thank you for coming on my friend. Always good stuff. Check them out at John Scott TV on Twitter and uh, we'll have you on again soon. We should make this a regular thing. Appreciate it guys. Thanks. All right. We'll be right back. Ready for football? Tops is with ready-to-serve fan favorites everyone will cheer for. Delicious family or party packs like pizza, sliders, fried chicken, barbecue, or beef on whack. Starting at only $4 per serving. Perfect for game day and any day. Only at Tops. Boom! We are back and we are moving right along on this Wednesday night live edition of the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, our friends, your neighborhood store with more. And next up, Look at this guy, Mr. Breaking Buffalo Rumblings himself, Anthony Marino. How are you, man? This is this is a real treat for us. No, it's a treat for me as well, guys. It's, uh, it's been a while since we got to catch up, and I'm glad we could connect tonight. So thanks for having me. Now, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. You are over on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. Tell them a little bit about your show and, and what you guys like to get into uh, on that show. You're kind of a, a, a little bit more of a immediacy slant to, to, to the podcast that you put out. Yeah, you try to, right? I mean, whenever there's breaking news, obviously breaking Buffalo Rumblings, try to cover everything there. But I say all the time, right? And Ryan knows this from when we've gone back and forth, it's you always try not to get too high. You try not to be too low. You know, you, you try to be that voice of, I guess what you would call the reasonable fan base as much as you can. But, <laughs> I mean, as much as I love doing my show there, the entire lineup we have, I mean, I know you guys have done things with Bruce Nolan and with Jay Spence and with Steve Vega from the Buff Hub and so many of our different shows. And it's just a great group. 
mean, just again, trying to put out different content each and every week. As you know, I mean, Bills fans, they just can't talk about the team enough or listen to the, you know, the different subjects that we get into. So it's just always a lot of fun. And it's just honestly, it's just a blessing to be a part of. Ryan, you and Anthony go way back. Way back. Billsmafia.com days. And, uh, Pulled up some old videos today, in fact, where we were talking about Bryce Brown and EJ Manuel. Uh, Anthony made a nice reference to, you know, where's the veteran quarterback in the room? And he mentioned Kyle Orton by name. So he was he was calling that or, or bringing that into uh, existence back then, too. So, yeah, I, I still remember those days very well. I, I look back on them with a lot of fondness and uh it was interesting because Anthony was always like, it felt like he was always traveling around somewhere and be like, Hey, let's shoot it here. And then he'd be in some hotel room or doing this, that or the other, cause he'd be traveling for work and he was always willing and game to do it. And I always appreciated that. Well, we're glad to have Anthony here. And before we continue, see if you can mess around with your audio a little bit. Cause I am getting a couple comments that they can't hear you too well. Uh, and there's usually like a little three dot, um, thing on, on on your screen just see if you can change your audio input see if that works and while you mess around with that i want to bring up what we're going to talk about next with anthony and then hopefully the the audio works so i want everybody to hear you because we've been waiting to do this and uh, i want it to work work well um the bills we put up a story today josh allen was asked uh by john waro from the associated press to ask him a couple uh, questions about you know the afc east and the fact that the bills could win the, their division for the first time since 95. If they win um, uh, on Saturday or even if they lose, if Miami loses to the New England Patriots, that will clinch the Bills their first AFC East title. So they're on the cusp of this, Ryan. I mean, we're at this point, it's it's about as um, official as official can be without being official because I think their odds right now, they're minus 5,000, which means you'd have to bet five thousand dollars to win 100 that they it's crazy i mean they're they're basically the afc champs and i don't want to i don't want to uh, jinx anything here but it's it's pretty close oh absolutely and you know it's interesting because last week it would have been great to see them clinch a playoff berth and everything was going their way until that monday night game but i think it would be so much sweeter for this fan base to see the bills not only clinch a playoff berth but win the mm-hmm. afc's for the first time since 1995 live after they actually won a game not because of something that happened in another game or like you said if the dolphins lose to the patriots if the bills just can handle their own business this weekend i think that would be uh such a thrill for bills fans and i even put something out on twitter saying you know how many of you would actually go out and and start buying the gear that says afc's champions on it even when the bills made those four consecutive super bowl runs I still remember my parents having the hats that that said AFC East champions, the sweatshirts. So it was definitely a thing back in the the heyday. So I'm I'm just thinking, you know, after the Patriots have run roughshod over this division for so long, I I can see a lot of uh, people making a lot of money, uh, hopefully for good causes. Hint, hint, Del Reed uh, with with those AFC East uh, championship T-shirts here, if that does come to fruition this Saturday. It looks like we have Anthony setting up the mic, so he's going to. Oh be- yeah, he's going. He's going to the backup <laughs> plan. Going to the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Go to that one because you. It, it's it's a little bit muffled and it's a little bit quiet. So Brian, Ryan, you brought up a, a cool little uh, topic here, and um, it's one that hopefully uh, we can get Anthony in here to to chime in on. Back in 1995, who was Ryan Talbot in 1995? 
uh, a, a big WWF wrestling fan. I was a, a solid. Well, let's see. If we're talking '95 at, at this point of the year, yeah, I, I would have been about 11 years old. Uh, so probably playing with my pro wrestlers. Uh, I think maybe, maybe the Power Rangers were popular back then. I, when did the Power Rangers become a thing? Was it around you were that Power time? Rangers guy? Yeah, that makes I, sense. That makes sense. You were Power Rangers guy. I used to tease my brother because he was a big Power. He was a Green Ranger guy. He yeah. had the little green Green Ranger yeah. dagger. Yeah, and then See, he became the White really? Ranger, so don't worry about it. He, he came back. I was okay. a little worried there for a time. So, like, <laughs> we, we've become really close, Ryan and I, and that's one of the first things you've said where I've kind of been like, ooh, Power Rangers. <laughs> but that's also because my brother was incessantly annoying about it. Like, he had this Green Ranger dagger, and he'd go, he used to, like, blow it like a flute or something, and I was oh, like, yeah, dude, yeah, yeah. stop it with the Power Rangers. <laughs> like, stop it. I didn't have any. You're back. Like gotcha. I don't know. Is this any better? Ooh, it's coming in low. My goodness. What a bummer. How about now? Better. Hmm. No, it's coming in this. Like, I, I, if I turn my my volume up to the absolute max, I can hear you. Try going out and coming back in again. Ooh. How about now? That's perfect. That's it. Gotcha. Don't touch anything. <laughs> perfect. So where what, what we what was Anthony Marino up to in 1995? God, in 1995, I was in college. I was a junior in college, and just uh, you know, thinking back, I mean, gosh, I wasn't 11 years old like uh, like Ryan was, <laughs> kind of dating myself, right? But you, you kind of think back to that. I mean, I think we took so much of it as Bills fans for granted. Right. I mean, you would just think back to that and you've got this run of the Super Bowl stretch and just expecting the team to be great and to do well each and every year. And you, you think back to it. It just uh, I don't know. Was I one of those snot nosed fans that you kind of hate these days when you think about the, you know, Patriots fans and they've got their run and just the success that they've had that you take it for granted. And you see some of them struggling with it this year. I, I don't know if I was that guy or not, but I, I sure as hell hope not. Yeah, 95, so I would have been 13, and so that would have been Jim Kelly's second last year, and I was just, you know, getting into football. I was I was kind of like a dork. I was actually in uh, some little-known fact about me. I don't know if we want to go too far down the rabbit hole here, <laughs> but uh, I was in, like, show choir, and so like I was a big singer. Like, I loved it. Like, I thought I was going to be, like, maybe in a boy band or I don't know. You have um, the hair, so you could pull. I was gonna say, through. I saw a little exchange tonight between Jay Spence and my wife, and she, because he, he, I was on his show earlier this week, and he's and he called me the hair god, and I'm like, all right, Jay Spence. I mean, listen, that's a little bit too much. But my wife said, don't say stuff like that. You're just gonna blow up his ego even more. So to your point about the hair, I I get that a lot, but I can't take any credit. I've had great barbers, and I found an amazing barber here. Usually wears his um his shirt, but anyway. I wanted to be a singer. Like uh, we moved to Texas for a little while. Uh, I think I was about 15. So it had been two years later and I did, I was in a show and guys and dolls. They were about to do Greece and I was going to be Danny Zuko. I had it all planned out. And then we moved back here. Um, I actually dropped out of high school. I'm, like I said, we can go real far down the rabbit hole here. Um, but no, growing up, I was, I, I feel like 95 was like that weird malaise where it was so like 
everything came up roses for so long, even though they didn't win a Super Bowl. Like I tell people all the time, like, you don't understand, like back in the day, like when the Bills were going to the playoffs, like we had days off of school. Like it was like a national holiday in Buffalo. Like I remember, I remember, I mean, we everybody, everywhere you looked, I mean, you, you go to the mall, well, in non-COVID times and you see everybody wearing Bills gear, don't get me wrong, but that was the, you know, everything was, was bills. So I think, uh, that was a fun little game to play. Let's jump around the AFC East though, a little bit, because this is something that Ryan also suggested that I think is very, um, timely and, and conversational. Let's start off with the jets. They're, you know, an absolute mess. And the, the, the future of Sam Darnold is obviously very much so up in the air. And they may have a chance to draft Trevor Lawrence. And I think if they do get Trevor Lawrence, the Brian Dable potential there becomes very interesting. Anthony, does Brian Dable to the Jets have any legs? And if it does or doesn't, where do you feel like the best fit for Brian Dable is? Well, one, I think it certainly has legs, right? From that standpoint, you can look at it. And I mean, we're making an assumption right now, but I think it's a pretty safe one that Adam Gase's time is coming to an end <laughs> as a head coach with the New York Jets. So it certainly would make sense, but I think there's a more obvious choice, at least for me, would be to go to the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, you, you know, you look at Herbert as a young quarterback who's done some good things already. Um, Tom Telesco is a Buffalo guy. Uh, someone was talking not too long ago that Telesco and Dable went to the same high school. I don't think they were there at the same time, but you know, you think about some of those Western New York connections and some of those pieces. I mean, if I were Brian Dable, would I want to be taking over the Jets for what they have gone through, the rebuild that they have in front of them? I know they have a lot of cap space, but just I don't know from that standpoint if he would look at it and say, OK, I'm going to be in the same division with my old, my, you know, my old team. If I can go out to Los Angeles, you know, the quarterback is a hit. Not that Trevor Lawrence, I mean, it doesn't seem to be too much of a question around him. But again, like, to, to what extent, how long can that rebuild take? So if it were me, I think the Chargers is a better fit. But, you know, there's only 32 jobs at these in the country. You get an opportunity to be a head coach. I mean, I know some fans, they want to rationalize where they will be back with the Bills next year and they won't leave. And Well, why would he want to pass up on a chance to compete for a Super Bowl? But again, when... You know, you talk about his career and the different programs he's been a part of. When you have a chance to be a head coach, you certainly want to take it. Here's something interesting, Ryan, and I like your thoughts on it. The one thing that I just think about when I think about Brian Dable going off and interviewing for jobs is he's in a unique position because of the sex su success that they've had. He can kind of interview the interviewers a little bit. I think he can be a little bit more picky about the situation. Now there is a lot of situations out there. I mean, you mentioned the chargers, you mentioned it, you mentioned the the jets. If it ends up being Trevor Lawrence, those are the kind of jobs that I think that, you know, offensive minded head coaches, play callers would jump, jump at, but does as much as Brian Dable might be in that position, is he the top target on the market? Because I think Eric B should be ranked above Brian Dable. And then if you're thinking about from that perspective, if if Bionami ends up getting whatever job that maybe Brian Dable had his eyes on, does it not make sense for him to sit back? And we still don't know. I mean, the Jets, for all the negative things that you you could say about their organization and Adam Gase being one of the 
the main ones, they could still potentially win a game or two down the stretch here just to you know mess everything up. I think it was you, Ryan, that brought up in, in the second thing here is could the, the Patriots foil the Jets' plan to get Trevor Lawrence? Lawrence. I, I wouldn't put it past Belichick at all and say week 17, oh, we're going to evaluate all of our young talent. We're going to throw in our court, you know, whatever quarterback he thinks has the best chance of losing them the game. I guess you'd have to go with the young uh, kid because there, there's no real future there for Hoyer, obviously. So Stidham would be your quarterback. But go with all these young guys. And, and you're not going in your locker room saying, guys, let's lose this game. But giving yourself a competitive disadvantage I guess, and saying, hey, let's just see if they can beat us. Let's just see if we can get Trevor Lawrence uh, to Jacksonville or, or somewhere else. Um, well, I guess Jacksonville would be the only other really destination at this point that he could end up in. So I, I wouldn't put it past Belichick. I guess that's where I would go with that. But with Dable, I, I think that Anthony has a good point in saying there's only 32 of these jobs. But I do look at certain situations where I say, I can't see him taking that job, like a Detroit, for instance. Pretty soon, they have to turn the page on the quarterback position, correct? Uh, Matthew Stafford, you know, injuries, age, et cetera, et cetera. They haven't won. Even though I think he's a very talented quarterback, they haven't won much with him at quarterback in his career there. Getting the right quarterback is not a guarantee in this league. And as good as we think Trevor Lawrence is going to be with the Jets, there is still a bust factor. There, There is still the fact that he's playing with NFL caliber players in Clemson year in, year out. Uh, whereas you have a guy like Josh Allen who was not playing with any NFL guys. So th there's still some risk factor there. So I think there's certain jobs where you'd be like, Detroit, no, that's not for me. Uh, I, I can't sit here and say that I'm going to win in this spot in one or two years. Um, let's just say Cincinnati opens up, and I'm not sure they're gonna, they're ready to move on from Zach Taylor. That's That would be enticing because Joe Burrow's there, and there's still some young pieces Um and maybe that division, although I, I, I respect the other three teams in, the, in that division, maybe that is more wide open than going to the Chargers in the NFC West where you know you have to deal with Mahomes for the next decade plus. Uh, in, in Buffalo where yet, uh, or I'm sorry, in the Jets where you have to deal with Buffalo and Josh Allen. And as much as the, the Patriots are, are uh, failing this year to make the postseason, you know, Belichick's still Belichick. He's still going to be a guy that's going to have his team competing until he hangs it up. So he's going to find a quarterback in the offseason this year uh, that I think will have them at least hovering around 500 and, and competing in this division. So it, there's a lot of things that you have to waste. So I'm not shutting the door on Brian Dable coming back. Uh, I think it's a possibility where you can say, hey, you know, we won the division this year. There's no reason for me to believe that I can't win again with Josh Allen, with Stefan Diggs. Uh, and maybe my my dream job will open up the following year. But at this, but to Anthony's point, if that right opportunity comes along and the offer is there, I think you'd be foolish to turn it down. I don't know if you wanted to add anything in there, Anthony. I thought I saw you kind of <laughs> no, lurking, right? I mean, when you think about it, and honestly, it was not even on my radar. And Matt, you had pinged me earlier in the day, right, of saying, "Do you think this is uh, something that Belichick would do?" And I mean, what a you know, I mean, whether you're a fan of the Dolphins, the Bills, the Jets, right? I mean, you you hate Bill Belichick, right? I mean, he is the <laughs> nemesis of a head coach that you've been dealing with forever. And just to think, like, good gosh, man, if he could stick it to the Jets in that way, I mean, you could just see this evil mastermind kind of working through this. And in a way, I would, uh, I'd almost be all for it, right? Just to see what would happen. 
I have a soft spot for Jets fans, though, right? You think of everything that they've gone through for for all of these years as well. And, you know, not even just to think whether it's Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, but, like, you know, the fact that things aren't working with Sam Darnold. I mean, of course, I want Josh Allen to be the best quarterback out of that class. And, you know, this year, I, in my opinion, he certainly displayed that. But, you know, I mean, he's working out with Sam Darnold and Jordan Palmer. They're together all offseason. And it's mm-hmm. working for Josh. It's not working for Darnold. And you just look at that piece and it's uh, it's unfortunate for that fan base. And I don't know if they deserve to be tortured any more than, than they already have. But it's well, you're going to rile up the uh, 17. You're going to rile up everybody in the comments section here with that kind of uh, rhetoric. But no, I, I think to your point, I think the one thing that you know that you bring up is interesting is that they don't have all the same pieces working for them in Sam Darnold and Josh Allen. I mean, yeah, Jordan Palmer is a, is a unique kind of uh, tool at their disposal, but you look at, you know, the mess that Sam Darnold has had his entire career here. And we're not even talking about just Adam Gase. We're talking about, you know, this year, there's this kind of weird uh, dynamic of who's calling the plays and okay, I'll let you call plays some weeks and then I'm going to take it back for some certain parts of the game. There's just always, um, you know, chaos around him and not only chaos around him, what have they done to build that offensive line? What have they done to, to give him weapons? I mean, everything that the, the book that Brandon Bean has written in the last four years on how three years, how to build around a quarterback. It's almost like the jets have done the opposite of that. They've, they've written a completely different book and it's one that everybody, I mean, is going to buy and burn because nobody wants to follow that that but but speaking of quarterbacks and this is another one in the AFC East let's 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 round it out with with Tua Tagovailoa I think um Ryan and I have talked a little bit about him and and are some of our early impressions where do you sit on Tua and and maybe you know what his potential in the division is here not only this year but you know in the next couple of years man and it's been so hard to to tell right with him too because you look at things of course, like so many others, I have a soft spot for Fitz. So when mm. they made the decision to bench him, it was just you're thinking to yourself, man, you're in this playoff hunt. What are you doing? You put in Tagovailoa, and then all of a sudden you get these special teams plays each week and defensive scores, and you see all of these, you know, and you don't want to call it luck, but just it's this fortunate circumstance, right, where the Dolphins are beating the Rams, and it's like they're – you know, the Rams have 480 yards worth of offense and they're getting (laughs) destroyed by the Dolphins because of these special teams and defensive touchdowns. Now, the one thing I will say in in watching the game on Sunday against the Chiefs, I mean, he kept them in the game, right? I mean, there were certainly the interceptions early. Mahomes not really looking like himself, but I thought Tua was making plays down the stretch, doing what he could, asserting himself as a leader with that team to have them in contention really of kind of like being in a position to make things a little bit more interesting than it should have been. It's still really early to tell. um, But I mean, he's certainly growing on me a little bit as a quarterback to the point where you're just like, okay, well, maybe the dolphins missed the boat here, right. That they should have gone with Herbert. But from this standpoint right now, it's, it's still just too early to tell. And I think that's a great point. And I was actually pretty impressed with him against the Chiefs as well, where I've come back a few weeks and I've said, yeah, you know, he, he had some yards, he had some stats, but I felt like he never really had them in that game. It was more so the defense, the special teams. So 
it is going to be interesting to see what he does over these the, the rest of this season and going forward. But let's round this out with some Bills talk. The Bills have a lot of guys who are up for new deals at the end of the season. Obviously, some of the bigger names are uh, Matt Milano, John Feliciano, Daryl Williams, and, and there's others as well. Who's the odd man out in your opinion? Who's the guy that they just they can't probably afford to bring back? You know, this question, I think, for me, was a lot easier to answer before Sunday night's game because <laughs> I was probably thinking it was Daryl Williams, right? I mean, you looked at things, okay, he's here on a $2.5 million deal. Um, certainly has been an all-pro in the past, but dealing with injuries, bouncing around, like, is this more of a flash-in-the-pan season for someone a little bit, you know, in the second half of their career, let's call it? Milano obviously being drafted by the team. It really seems like, at least from – what we've read and what we've heard, the coaching staff loves John Feliciano as a leader, but that's someone they would want to have come back. Of course, any of the perceived controversy that was there with him starting at center over Mitch Morris and what could have been taking place along those lines. So going into Sunday night, right, I would have said, well, it's probably Daryl Williams will be the odd man out. And then he kind of puts it to TJ Watt and, I mean, plays the the game of the season, but I mean, making such a difference for the Bills offense. I still think it's probably him, right? If you're thinking at the tackle position, if he is going to be commanding 10 million plus a year, they've already got a huge commitment with Deion Dawkins. Um, I feel like at least for what we've seen with the defense they're, you know, they need Matt Milano, right? I mean, we've seen some great weeks from AJ Klein, but I think that's, you know, probably somewhere in between his, peak performance and the, the floor that we've seen, you know, so kind of a long, I think it still has to be Williams. I mean, I don't want to say, do you put Cody Ford back at right tackle next season? Do you look to draft someone? But I think if, you know, if you're saying I can only keep two out of the three, Williams would be the odd man out for me. And I think that makes a lot of sense uh, in terms of salary, like you said, but you know, you're right. Kudos to him for that performance against TJ Watt. Um, it's not often that I sit there and I focus on a right tackle, uh, play after play. And it was fun watching him because he was trying to get a little head start about half a second before each snap and get into his spot. And it was working. And he only drew one false, uh, one false start throughout the course of that game. And but getting hit to that spot, that little half second lead that he was getting and getting away with, that was all the difference in the world for him. Getting to his spot was all he needed to take on TJ Watt. And it was a very impressive performance. Well, and Watt was the guy, right? You think of last year's game that was an absolute terror. I remember the instant replays where he's looking to punch the ball out. I mean, literally just like these haymakers. And you're thinking, man, if they cannot contain him and keep him under control on Sunday night, he's just a difference maker. And Williams just completely took him out of the game. I mean, it was, it was something to see. I mean, just a fantastic performance. So you gain... You can gain $5 million if you move on from Mitch Morris. You can gain $6.2 million if you move on from Mario Addison. You can gain $8 million, roughly, a little less than $8 million on John Brown. You know, I think that you're going to have some decisions that loom here that are – you're going to have to weigh what you need more. And so what happens if – you know, I, I think what we've seen this year is that this Bills team, and I might be wrong with on this, and, and they might completely shift gears and go back to Cody Ford at right tackle, but I think they don't believe in Cody Ford at right tackle. I think if you believe in your second year 
um, second round draft pick. You don't move him inside and then flip him between two spots throughout the, the season. It's almost like they're scrambling to find where they can use him. And they pretty much penciled in, and I could talk about it now because we're past training camp. They had Daryl Williams and on first getting first team reps at right tackle from the beginning of training camp. That was something they brought him here to be. Whether or not they were going to say it or not, and that that's my assumption. So with that in mind, you you're you're now building around Josh Allen and and you've seen the success of this offense. You've seen what it could look like without John Brown. But what would it look like without Daryl Williams? And if you remove that eight million next year, this is just hypothetical, to then you know give you some some wiggle room to try to go out and and bring back Daryl Williams. I think that that's. I think that that keeping Josh Allen in 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 in, in, a, in an environment where he can continue to thrive and grow should be still at the top of your priority list. And I would even say even more so than losing Matt Milano. We we saw what happened with Matt Milano on the lineup. They lose something considerable. He's he's one of the best coverage linebackers. He's he's so perfect for what they do because he's so multiple. He you can ask him to do so many things in this defense. And that's so rare in this league to have that kind of fluidity and, and consistency. But we saw what happened when he was out. AJ Klein figured it out. You know, Tyrell Dotson's been around. We haven't seen a lot of him. He's dealt with injuries. They they like him a lot. Can he be somebody that can they they can kind of groom or or maybe draft somebody else and build that position? The guy back there, I think that they're going to invest in long term, no matter what, is Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, they, they're they've been unwavering in their support of him and their belief in him. And so I don't know. I I I I I can talk myself into them being unwilling to reach that meet that 12 13 million demand for Milano the more we see to Ryan's point uh, of Daryl Williams the more I, I can't be talked into them being willing to let him walk away and even as good as he's playing I still think they might be able to, because they gave him that chance maybe could get a little bit of a hometown discount I don't know we'll see yeah well, it'll I, certainly be interesting I mean we did a podcast with Greg Thompson from cover one last week and, and really talking about, okay, if it is 175, how can you rework some of these contracts? So you don't have to cut a John Brown, So maybe you don't have to cut a Mario Addison. Maybe you do kick the can down the road just a little bit with some of that guaranteed money, extend the contracts that they have, knowing that the free agency market is not going to be what you would hope it would be in 2021. Now there's talk about things maybe being bumped up to 195, different negotiations. So, you know, if it does, it could be a moot point for all of this. And we might say, hey, right. you can re-sign all three without really having to sacrifice anyone. But it'll be interesting to follow. Yeah. And, and I think at this point, though, with those names, I think Mitch Morse might be the most obvious one that they would part ways with. They like Feliciano at center. They like Ike Butker at left guard. Cody Ford has to have a spot, so it would probably be right guard. Get Williams back, and then even Addison. I, I like Addison. I, I like what he's brought to this team from a leadership standpoint, from a play standpoint. But guess who's been flashing in the second half of the season? AJ Epineza, Daryl Johnson, guys that can play on that other side. And you still have Jerry Hughes that's playing at a high level. May not show up on the stat sheet in terms of sacks, but the pressures are still there week in and week out. So you do have to get younger. You do have to make some tough decisions in this uh, in this sport. You know, year in and year out. I saw a comment and I and I kind of giggled about it, but the more I'm thinking about it, you know, he's right. Uh, the person that said this, I can't remember who it was. 
I can't wait for the bill not to rush things along, but I can't wait for the Bills offseason because I think there's so many interesting offseason decisions that loom. And I'm like, my man, you got a, you got a Super Bowl <laughs> contender here. I look back a little bit, but no, uh, this was this was awesome, Anthony. Thank you so much uh, for taking some time out of your Wednesday night to join us. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find you, your podcast, and what you guys got going on over at Buffalo Rumblings? No, thank you for having me. Honestly, you guys are the best. You can find me at buffalorumblings.com. Again, got our podcast there. My show is Breaking Buffalo Rumblings. You can find it on Twitter at Ant Marino or just go to buffalorumblings.com. Uh, we've got you covered every week. And like I said, appreciate everything that you guys do, not just uh, for the fans out there, but for all of us. You're always so gracious with your time and coming on our shows as well. And, and that means the world to everybody. So thank you guys so much. Well, we enjoy it, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on. All right, fellas. Thanks again. Yep. All right. We will be right back. We are going to be joined uh, by Kyle Newman from the Denver Post. We're going to preview this Bills Broncos game. Stick around. Ready for football? With every game a home game, Tops is ready for you with its TV a day giveaway. For six weeks, every day you shop is a new chance to win a massive 70-inch 4K TV. Shop Tops for the best deals in town, in store, or online to win. Welcome back to the show. If you are just joining us now, this is the Shout Bills Football Podcast brought to you by Top Friendly Markets. Thank you for joining us. And Mr. Kyle Newman out in Denver, thank you for joining us, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, yeah. Anytime. We appreciate you, you carving out some time tonight because, you know, this is a really interesting game. And, it, it you, know, the, you know, the week kind of got kicked off today, you know, seeing some media uh, on both sides of things in a, in a pretty interesting way. Uh, you tweeted out some comments from uh, Drew Locke, and I think that that's a very uh, perfect place to start. And just give a little bit of uh, insight to, to the listeners about what Drew Locke had to say about Tredavious White today. Yeah, basically, you know, he was he was giving some compliments to the Buffalo defense, and I asked him about Tredavious White, and I said, hey, you know, are you still going to sling it his way when he's on the field, even though you probably want to know where he is at all times? He said, when you played him at LSU when he was at Missouri, you know, he was somebody to be watched and make sure he knew where he was at at all times. Same thing on Saturday. Now he went on to say, He's extremely talented corner, but here's the big but that got uh, the Bills Mafia on Twitter all fired up. Uh, it's not going to be something that scares you off on a throw or scares you off on a matchup. If my read takes me to him, I need to throw the ball. There will be no second guess about throwing it. So, uh, obviously, uh, Drew Locke, you know, I don't I don't think he meant any any insult or slight to Tredavious about it, but Bills Mafia might have taken it that way. But that's kind of how Drew Locke is. He's very, uh, you know, free-throwing free-flowing, he'll speak his mind, and he's not afraid to say, hey, yeah, Tredavious White's pretty good. I think we're pretty good, too. We got some guys. And, I, and that also, that confidence from that statement is is his confidence in Jerry Judy, K.J. Handler, Noah Fant, an emerging cast in Denver for sure still, but a very talented one nonetheless. And definitely a great young uh, group of receivers coming up there. Uh, coming off of an outstanding performance against Carolina Panthers. Uh, but but does he maybe make some of those same decisions that a young Josh Allen made in terms of maybe throwing up some balls that he really shouldn't? And, and I'm going back to the New England game. That was one of the first times that I saw Denver this year. Denver has this lead, and I'm thinking, okay, they're going to run it out. They're going to use those backs. And I want to say it was back-to-back drives, like the first or second throw, he gets picked off, and it's like, what is this guy doing? He's slinging it downfield. Is he also a guy that is sometimes is a little bit reckless, like Josh Allen was, 
in his rookie year and a little bit here in year two as he was last year? I think so, Ryan. I mean, there's been a lot of scuttlebutt here in Denver about Josh Allen this week, just like last year when the Broncos played the Bills, because obviously played college ball right up the road at Wyoming. Broncos in the 2018 draft, are they going to take him? Are they going to take him? No, they took Bradley Chubb, and then Allen fell to the Bulls two picks later. So I think there's a lot of comparisons, hopeful comparisons here in Denver, like, hey, look at Josh Allen, look at how kind of he's grown, took the, took the big leap last year, and then took another huge leap this year, obviously, with the Bills sitting on top of the AFC East. So uh, I think the the Broncos fans are hopeful that Drew Locke progresses in that aspect. He's been getting lots of questions over the last couple of weeks over taking the check down, not forcing it downfield into coverage, uh, not trying to, to get the big play when it's not there. And you can tell it's kind of irked him at times, but then you saw in the Carolina game, him consistently taking that check down, posting the 149.5 QBR, which is the third highest rating in a single game in Broncos history, not to mention obviously his career high. So uh, the more he does that, the better the Broncos are going to be. But like he, he said, he, he said, hey, I'm still going to huck it deep when I get the chance. Even if Tredavious White is all over Jerry Judy one-on-one, if he's got a window, he's going to try and put it in there. So what's interesting about his comments for me is that while Tredavious White is definitely, you know, an, an elite corner that, you know, usually, you know, shuts down his side of the field. I mean, quarterbacks have talked about it. The, the thing that doesn't get talked about as much, and I think that Drew Locke, I think, alluded to it a little bit in his comments today when he was talking about the Bills defense, is Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer and how they are at confusing specifically younger quarterbacks and what they're seeing. And I'm looking at this matchup and, you know, all the, you know, air yard stats and how, how much Drew Locke likes to push the ball down the field and part of his charm i think is a quarterback and you like to see a guy that likes to that's not scared to take chances against this defense those chances tend to turn into turnovers and is that something that you that you think that the, the, the broncos are wary of this week yeah I, they don't want to lose the turnover battle i mean i know at least going into the game a couple of weeks ago they're last in the nfl and turnover differential but that's not been the strong point of them uh, they need to have more takeaways and then turn the ball over less. Now, Drew Locke broke his seven-game interception streak against Carolina, so that was a good start. But to your question, Matt, he, he alluded to that on the Zoom call today. He said, hey, without getting to too much specifics, Buffalo does a lot of stuff. They bring a lot of stuff at you. Uh, you can tell he's he's knee-deep in the game planning and kind of see, seeing the intricacies of this Buffalo's defense. Like like you said, maybe all pro the all-pro white gets a lot of the headlines, but it goes a lot deeper than that hence the, the 10 wins already. So the Broncos are, are certainly wary of that. Um, you know, I, I expect them to get Noah Fant back who missed last week with a non-COVID illness. He exited in the first first quarter. Uh, Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon, both a little banged up, but I think they're going to play. So he's going to have all his weapons. Jerry Judy's been absent a little bit last few games, see if he can get going. So he let's see if they can he can get going, but he knows it's a tough test with this Bills defense. You know, flipping over to the other quarterback in this game, Josh Allen, we've mentioned him a little bit already. The Bills have been one of the most pass-happy teams in the NFL, and based on the injuries in Denver in that secondary, is there any reason why the Bills should not be throwing almost every single down here come Saturday afternoon? No. I mean, you're looking at Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley and then Josh Allen and his cannon and his progression like we talked about against – a Broncos secondary that's pretty depleted. Yes, you have Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons anchoring 
at the safety slots, but the quarterback room has been basically decimated by injury, uh, by suspension. A.J. Boye, six-game suspension for performance-enhancing drugs that he began serving last week. Uh, they lost a few cornerbacks, including Gassane Bassey, uh, Bryce Callahan with the foot injury. He's still on injured reserve. So they're going to ask a ton of some young and unproven cornerbacks on Sunday against some very uh, good and red-hot receivers, as we saw in the Steelers game and going back a couple weeks in before that. So Michael Oljemudier, the rookie who's been <clears throat> up and down this year, he he got benched at one point after a poor, poor performance in Atlanta in November. Now, because of all these injuries, thrust back into the role. And Devontae Bosby also taking a long road. He's a fourth-year pro, started the year at Denver, played four or five games, uh, got cut. Went to Arizona, got waived there, got reclaimed by the Broncos, and now here he is, one of the one of the starting cornerbacks once again. And another long row guy, Will Parks. Uh, he played for Denver for four years, went to Philadelphia, tried to find a starting role. Well, it didn't work out there. Broncos claimed him off waivers. He played his first game against Miami. He'll be uh, once again the starting nickelback with, like I said, a Sang Bassey, the the young, unproven uh, but promising undrafted rookie whose season was injured ended by a knee injury. You look at um, the the tell of the tape that the team the team uh, puts out every week, and you you go down the Broncos side of things, and the, and they're really similar to the Bills last year. I mean, they're they're averaging just under twenty points a game. Their defense is obviously you know much better than their their offense, and statistically speaking, the one thing that the topic that came up pretty regularly today, um, you know, is this red zone defense for the Broncos now. I think that once you get in close, it's kind of easier to, you know, alleviate some concerns on your boundary corners because, you know, the field shrinks and your option option shrinks, the safeties can kind of get more involved. And I think that, you know, my first question is how have the Broncos been so good in the red zone? And, you know, how much does that, you know, their linebacking core, which, you know, I kind of took a stroll through the depth chart, nothing really popped off the page at me. I mean, who's playing well and who's kind of, uh, the kind of the key drivers, especially in the red zone for this front. Yeah, man, I think you said it. They're they're kind of covering for some of those uh, thinning thin spots in the secondary, especially at cornerback when they get into the red zone. I, I give the safeties credit once again, Crean Jackson, Justin Simmons, for really anchoring back there, making sure they're in their correct calls, correct assignments down down near the re- in the red zone and near the goal line. Uh, the linebacking core, I also give credit Alexander Johnson, Josie Jewell. They play pretty well. This season, their first full season as starters uh, in Vic Fangio's system. So I give them credit. Uh, on the outside, Malik Reed and Bradley Chubb. Bradley Chubb's got seven and a half sacks this year, uh, red zone aside. So he's he's getting back to work following the ACL injury that sidelined him the last 12 games last year. I credit them. But then really, I credit the, the guys up front and also Vic Fangio's play calling, uh, head coach and, and defensive play caller. I think he's doing a great job, Fangio from the sideline. And the guys up front, there's been so much turnover up there. Uh, two of the three week one starters, season ending injuries, Mike Purcell and Jarrell Casey. Shelby Harris has missed some extended time, four weeks because of coronavirus stuff. So he's finally getting back of the swing of things. Look for him to make some big plays. He can stuff the run. He can knock down those passes in the red zone. And then some of these younger guys, Draymond Jones to Marcus Walker, kind of coming on strong. So uh, all of that is is kind of creating this perfect storm where they're keeping opponents out of the red zone. And really, I mean, some of these games, they've they've lost. They've kept opponents out of the red zone. It's prevented it from being a blowout. They played Kansas City. Kansas City was 0 for 4 in the red zone, 0 for 3 from goal to go. But 
still not really much of a game. And that kind of speaks to some of the issues they're having in other facets of the defense and the offense as well. So real quick, flipping back over to the offense with Jerry Judy. And, and the reason I bring him up is after last year's uh, playoff loss for the Bills, I think the number one thing the, the fan base said is, man, we need a number one wide receiver. And going into that draft, a lot of fans were saying the Bills should be targeting one of those three wide receivers. And obviously the Bills ended up trading that pick, getting Stefan Diggs. And, and one of the comments we heard was, we didn't think one of those big guys were going to be there for us in the first round. Based on the research, I think a lot of fans did. How has Jerry Judy looked so far in his rookie year uh, with the Broncos? I think uh, lots of flashes to, to make the fan base happy uh, and, and hopeful for the future. Now, that's not to say they, they hadn't expected maybe a little more out of him. Uh, he's been a little up and down the first week. His NFL debut had a couple key drops and the loss to the Titans. Uh, these past few weeks, as I mentioned earlier, Hasn't really done much of anything. He had two catches for 42 yards against Carolina. Before that, one catch for five yards over the past the two games before that. So now one of those, they were playing New Orleans where they didn't really have a quarterback. So I, I give him a pass for that. But uh, he got he got some flack or maybe I should say some attention here in Denver for his tweet um, two weeks ago after the game where he said, at least I got my conditioning in. Quickly deleted, but – Point made. He was, uh, he, you know, he since he's a little frustrated. Vic Fangio, Drew Locke asked about that, and they're like, "Yeah, we don't care. You know, we, we understand. He wants the ball more. We want to get him the ball more." So, um, I, I think the future is super bright for Jerry Judy here in Denver, and uh, Broncos are, are going to end up, you know, coming out with of that pick looking pretty good. That's not to say there weren't some other wideouts. You know, I think Justin Jefferson, the, the seasons he's he's having in, in Minnesota can't be overlooked, but Hey, as Buffalo fans, like you mentioned, you can't be too upset that you landed with Stefan Diggs and with this production he's having with Josh Allen this year. Well, this has been a great segment. Uh, we learned a lot. Uh, excited for this game on Saturday. Kyle, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you uh, on social media because I, I think the Bills fans do like it, uh, following things from the other side every week. I noticed that from the Bills Mafia <laughs> quickly uh, mobilizing after that lock tweet on Tredavious White. So uh, at Kyle Newman DP on Twitter and DenverPost.com slash Broncos for more insight into the Broncos and into the matchup this Sunday. Or this awesome. Saturday, should I say. Yes. I've had to I've had to uh, delete that in a few stories already. Oh, yeah. yeah. Constantly, one more time. Constantly. Thanks, well, thank guys. you so much. Enjoy the game. Thanks, guys. Ready for football? Tops is with ready-to-serve fan favorites everyone will cheer for. Delicious family or party packs like pizza, sliders, fried chicken, barbecue, or beef on whack. Starting at only $4 per serving. Perfect for game day and any day. Only at Tops. Three commercials tonight, Ryan. And we're going we're gonna to throw a fourth one in there when we close this thing out. But there's a couple more things since we're not having another show. I wanted to talk about a couple things that you know, are happening and a little bit more about this game today. You know, John Brown has been something we, I don't think we covered uh, earlier in the show. We had planned to get to it with John. Um, he's been out uh, for three, four weeks now uh, that the bills designated him to return this week. So he has been practicing. I believe uh, you could see uh, over on bills.com. Uh, they put up a practice gallery and I believe he was in one of the pictures there. Um, I, I didn't see it. I think I just saw somebody tweet it, you know? So the question then becomes Ryan, like, will John Brown return this week? And one of the interesting parts of this is, you know, he has that sickle cell trait that, you know, it was obviously very much publicized, discussed when he was kind of picking a free agent destination, I believe in 19, it might've been 18, 
But he had actually said, I went back and combed through some of the old headlines. He has actually said uh, that he considered Denver as a free agent destination and was not worried about playing there. So I think that, you know, all things being equal after, after looking into it a little bit more, he could play this weekend. I mean, if he's ready to go and they're ready to activate him, I'm not so sure that that would be something that would hold him back. I still think that if you are, when you do bring him back, you want to bring him back as close to 100%. So that leg, that knee, that foot, that ankle, everything that he's been dealing with, if you're the Bills, you want that to be as healthy as possible before you trot him back out there. Yeah. And we must have been checking the same articles because I read that one as well, where he said, right. oh, yeah, you know, uh, the sickle cell wouldn't be a, it's not a, anything that I'm not uh, worried about. I would consider Denver. Um, so I, I think it is a possibility, but I think you just hit the nail on the head. I'm not overlooking this Denver Broncos team. I don't think any Bills player is looking over this uh, Denver Broncos team, but is this really the game that you want to bring John Brown back? That I know the Broncos are uh, decimated by injuries in the secondary, and it would be great to have another guy out there that could catch the ball and have a big game, but it's more important to have him at 100% in the playoffs. It's more important to maybe have him in these last two games on a limited pitch count if they've already clinched the division and you're – you know, you're still trying to improve your seating uh, to a certain extent, but he, it's the playoffs that you want this guy at 100%. We know what John Brown can do. We saw what he was like as, as Josh Allen's number one wide receiver last year. If you can get to that first playoff game with him having some limited reps in games, with him having a, a few weeks of practice, and have him with Stefan Diggs, with Cole Beasley, uh, with Gabriel Davis, that is going to cause fits for an opposing secondary. So, I just think big picture, I want him at 100% for the playoffs. So I'm not sure this is the week to bring him back. But if the Bills are comfortable with it, you're you're right. There's The, the sickle cell is not going to be a factor that holds him back. You know, another thing in this game to watch for, I think that we could see the uh, Matt Milano role expand once again and maybe him kind of get the lion's share of those snaps as he continues to look pretty healthy. I think we could see that. I also think we could see them stick with what has been working and kind of this combination of of still getting AJ Klein, you know, some playing time. That's something that, you know, going into the season, I thought we were going to see a lot more three linebacker looks. You go back to last year, Lorenzo Alexander played 48% of the snaps. I thought we were going to see AJ Klein in, in that similar kind of split, but you know, the Bills are just so comfortable in that nickel formation that they don't really uh go to those three linebacker looks very often. So I think they're going to continue to split time. I still think they're gonna to want to get AJ Klein on the field. He's making a lot of money and he's also shown that he can make plays. Yeah, he, he's a guy that was playing great football uh these last few weeks, probably from the Seattle game on. And and he missed, he's missed a few tackles here and there over the last few weeks, but but he's not the step behind that he was early in the year. He's comfortable in this defense. He knows exactly where he should be now. Uh, he's come close to a few turnovers in the last few weeks as well, so you want him out there. And maybe you do see a few more three-linebacker sets against this Denver Broncos team because they do have a really good uh, run game, and maybe you want to have them both out there for that where – you know, we want to stop Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon on these early downs. And maybe just, I'm not saying play out of that uh, that defense all game long, because you're right, they're very comfortable in that nickel defense. But maybe at least try to mix it in a little bit more against these run-heavy teams, against the Patriots coming up here. Uh, I think you'd see a lot of that, too, because they're so, you know, run-happy and things like that. But, yeah, w when they are in, in the defense that we've come to expect out of them, you still have to get A.J. Klein in there. You still want Matt Milano healthy for the playoffs, and I know he's, he's been playing a little bit more here and there. He's been going after the quarterback. He's been in coverage. 
But I, I don't know if that pectoral injury fully heals until we hit the off season and he has an extended period of time to rehab it and get that right. So you just don't want to have one play go awry or, or overplay him right now and have that lead to another disaster where you're shorthanded again uh, or missing your best cover linebacker. Um, if you have a question, uh, please put it in the comments. We're going to go a few more minutes here. Uh, we're, I, I got a key to the game. I want to ask you for a key to the game, and then we'll give our predictions. There's also two other points I want to hit on, Vic Fangio and Tremaine Edmonds, before we get out of here. Let me start with Vic Fangio. So something that I learned today, uh, Sean McDermott was in his press conference, and uh, a new thing they're doing this year is on the Zoom calls, we're in there, and so is the Denver media or whoever the opposing team's media is. And the Buffalo media starts, and they get their – portion then it turns over to the Denver portion they, they get to ask their questions and I learned that early on in Sean McDermott's career Vic Fangio actually is somebody that had a pretty profound impact on him somebody that you know he mentioned that in this business there's a lot of times when people won't share the kind of secret sauce to their success and Vic Fangio has always been wherever he's been Sean McDermott's been you know watching him and his defenses consistently have been good wherever he goes. And he's somebody that he reached out to. He picked his brain, tried to implement some of the stuff stuff that he learned from him. So I thought that was just a cool kind of side story that, you know, a guy like that in this, in this business, and just from the media side of things and seeing how things play out, I thought that was a cool little tidbit. Uh, I might write that up later in the, in the, in, in the week, depends on how busy it is, but I, I wanted to share it because I thought it was, it was pretty cool because you look around the league and I almost feel like you can kind of pick, who's probably open with information and who's not. <laughs> I think that's definitely a fair assumption. And when you look at Sean McDermott's career, it, it is interesting to look back and see some of these influences that he's had. And, and you know, he obviously wasn't w- with Vic Fangio anywhere for an extended period of time, but being, being able to pick his brain, that's probably been huge for him. Being in that Andy Reid coaching tree, being able to see the other side of the ball and what works and how you can counter that. Having Jim Johnson uh, in Philadelphia for that extended period of time. So, He's had some great coaches around him. And then obviously having a guy like Fangio who would allow him to pick his brain, all those little things come together to help mold a coach into what he is. And obviously Sean McDermott over these last few years as a head coach all around, you're starting to see some, some little subtle changes, more aggressiveness on offense, going for those fourth down plays. You're, you're seeing uh, the defense evolve over the course of the season, playing with more aggressiveness as well. So I think that having a guy like Fangio, who you're right, has always been very successful with his defenses, be open with him probably early in his career, really did benefit him and help him get to where he is today. All right, let's get the keys of the game. Um, I, I see a Levi-Josh question. We'll get to that as well. Um, the For me, the Broncos are um, – uh, what is it here? 27th in the NFL out of 32 teams are giving up 131 yards on the ground per game. I think this could be a game where the bills go back to that run game. I think what they saw in the fourth quarter from Zach Moss against the Steelers probably provided some confidence. Like it's kind of this catch 22. Like, what do you do? You're so good passing the ball. Do you really want to go into a game like this and run the ball? Well, it's going to be a game where you're, you're at altitude. Guys are going to get tired quicker. Maybe you do want to try to impose your will a little bit, get that running game going. When the run game has gotten going in a couple of games this year, it's been good. I mean, you go back to that Patriots game, and the Bills really found um, you know, some success there. I think what will be interesting, too, is how they um, do their game day active roster. 
Go back to game. I think it was San Francisco. Was it San Francisco? Yeah, I think it was San Francisco where both Singletary and Moss both got banged up in the same game. Where uh, just for a moment, it might have been even a week before that, but it seemed like in, in the first quarter, both of them, like uh, Singletary was off on the sideline running yeah. and Moss kind of banged up his knee or something. I could see them maybe activating TJ Yeldon and having a third running back available in a game that's probably going to be physical if you do want to run the ball a little bit more. But I'm maybe completely off base here and they're going to throw it 40 <laughs> times. And w- what's your key to the game? Well, you know, maybe the key to the game is throw it 40 times against that that beat up secondary where you have Will Parks playing uh, a safety playing in that nickel spot where you have some guys that uh, I think Nate, he didn't mention Nate Harrison, but Nate Harrison's a guy that might play a little bit too. And he was brought over. He played with the Jets earlier this year and uh, some other teams. So they're really banged up. But the one thing I'll say is take advantage of whatever looks the Broncos are giving you. Uh, if you're spread out and you have a, a lot of, of smaller players on the field, then yeah, run the ball, pound it with Zach Moss. There's going to be some opportunities to be had there. Don't be one dimensional just because this team is beat up in, in the secondary. Try to find some balance because I've said this a hundred times over and I'm going to stand by it. Come playoff time, this Bills team is great as they have been at this point of the year with being a very pass heavy team. You want to be able to have some balance because they're going to have a home game in Buffalo in January. We do not know what the wind's going to look like. We don't know how much snow there's going to be. They have to be able to establish a little bit of a run game. So work on that over these next few weeks. Work on it against the Denver Broncos team, um, uh, New England Patriots team that you had success against earlier this year, and then obviously against Miami as well. I'm not saying come out here and uh, hand it off 30, 35 times, but start finding a little more balance starting this Saturday. PJ in the comment. I love PJ, man, on YouTube. Great, uh, always great comments. Uh, build the dome now. <laughs> I love it. Full support. You know, everybody, it's funny. Well, a lot of the Bills fans that um, were, you know, anti dome for all those years because they liked the environment, the blue collar nature of the city, and and just the the, the classic snow games over the year. You know, anti dome. You all of a sudden get a top ten quarterback who's looking like he's thriving in uh, indoors, and it's like you you build that dome. I'll pay anything. Let's uh, let's get Josh down on this offense cooking. I know, and it's funny because one of the when I said something about a dome like a month ago, I had someone in my mentions coming after me like, "Well, how do the fans dress for the tailgate then? Because if they're bundled up for the tailgate, they're going to be freezing cold when they get it, or or yeah, they're going to be uh, too warm, I should say, when they get into the stadium. Like, take your coat off." To, you know, you can make it work there, guys. You, you don't have to tailgate hours ahead of time either. Hey, Pat. I know Pat. Pat's a good guy. Pat Galante, uh, thank you for joining us on Facebook. And he's got a, a, a good question here. What's your thoughts on Dawson Knox? Will the Bills keep trying to get him involved moving forward? He seems to be getting targeted more. Uh, is that because of matchup or extra effort uh, in getting him involved? Uh, why don't you start, Ryan? I think it's a little bit of both. I think that they like his athleticism. They feel like he can be another guy that can uh, make some plays for this team. And, you know, give credit to him. He fumbled early in that game where he bobbled the, he caught the ball, bobbled the ball, dropped it, and went right to a, uh, a defender of the Steelers last week. But then he came back with some nice plays, uh, an eight-yard catch with a stiff arm along the sidelines. But no bigger play than when on third and 11, he he looks like he's going to block and he sneaks out and he gets open and then he rumbles downfield for 16 yards. Give him some credit in that area. Know that he can be an asset. He can be a weapon. Go back to that second New England game last year where he had a pretty big game against them. It 
body control adjustments, big catch near the goal line to end the first half. I still think that they believe in this guy, despite him being a very raw prospect. But at the same time, I think you have him out there because this is a day two, I don't want to say high draft pick, but it's a day two draft pick from this regime where your other options are Tyler Croft, a guy that you might be parting ways with at the, or you will be parting ways with uh, contract wise, at least unless you resign him at the end of this year, Lee Smith, who's a blocker, Reggie Gilliam, who's more of a special teams guy who plays a few snaps here on offense. So it's a, a mix of their hand is a little bit forced, but they also do believe in him from an athleticism standpoint. Yeah, I think that you hit the nail on the head with Dawson Knox. I, I've been very vocal. Go back and listen to some of our past episodes on on Knox uh, for my philosophy on why I think they're going to him uh, the way that they are. Uh, but I think it's a good thing, and we'll, and we'll continue to watch uh, to see what he does with the opportunity because, let's be honest, the, the tight end in this offense is not going to get you know, 10, 15 targets a game. And so what you're losing with Tyler Croft, where there might be a gap from time to time with Knox and blocking or you know a turnover – you know, he needs the reps. He did not get a lot of looks in college. So the more reps you can get him, the better. Uh, the sister show on YouTube. Thanks for your insight, guys. If Bills finish 13-3 and have healthy lineup, how far do you think the Bills can go? You know, it's it's weird, man. Like you don't want to I don't want to jinx anything for you guys. And I don't want I, I don't want to put any bad uh bad mojo on it, but I think that they're I think that they're a Super Bowl caliber roster. If if Josh Allen you take the sample size of say maybe his five best games from this season, you know, just off the top of my head, um, the Rams game, the Dolphins game, um, the Seahawks game, the 49ers game. Let's just take those four games right there. And you just average all of that out. And you say, you're going to get that guy in the big spots in the big games against a chiefs team, a Steelers team, a saints team, um, a Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. I don't think they're going to the Super Bowl, but just to throw them in there. <laughs> By the way, I think we talked about this. Could you write a more storybook finish to Tom Brady's career than losing to the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay after leaving the dynasty in New England? Sorry, I don't want to. I don't want to ruin anything, but I'm just saying <laughs> that's out there. That could be. That could be quite a uh, a Bills Mafia moment. I think they could beat any team in this league including the Kansas City Chiefs. Do I think that they're better than the Chiefs? No. I think the Chiefs have, have the better quarterback and they have the better roster. They have better they have better playmakers, which is crazy to say because I think Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley are top-notch. But you're talking about Tyreek Hill, who can change the face of a game at any moment. Travis Kelsey, who's leading the NFL in receiving right now. It's unbelievable. They're just a great team with great players in a lot of different important positions. Um, but on any, any given Sunday, if the bills bring their a game, do they have the, 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 the horses to beat the chiefs in, in a one game environment? I think, yes. Yeah. And I was going to say, you know, if the chiefs and the bills play 10 times, the chiefs might win nine of the 10, but all the bills need is that one time in, in the playoffs. It's all about who's hot on the right time. You go back to the, to the year that Baltimore won it all with Joe Flacco was Flacco, the best quarterback in the playoffs that year in the AFC that year. No. He wasn't. Were the Ravens the best team? They, they were one of the better teams in certain aspects for sure, but they weren't the best team. They just got hot at the right time. Josh Allen and the Bills are, are getting hot at the right time. They're, they're building this momentum up here. The six of the last seven. 
truly could be seven of the last seven. It wasn't for a, you know, a fluke Cal Mary where nine times out of 10, that doesn't get completed. Uh, so th- they're peaking. They're playing great on offense. We've seen it now back to back weeks against these great defenses. I know the 49ers were a little banged up. I know that the Steelers were missing some linebackers, but these are still two of the better defenses in the league. And I saw Josh Allen outplay those defenses. Yeah, I mean, he Robert uh, Salah had no answers for Josh Allen on that offense. In the second half, Josh Allen had every answer for the Steelers' defense. We've seen him beat the Dolphins. We've seen him beat the Rams. I think you should feel confident in this offense being able to match up against any team that they see in the playoffs. The defense is playing better. The special teams have been pretty rock solid all year. Andre Roberts is having an all-pro season. Tyler Bass has really settled in. I know that one extra point he missed last week, probably I've watched it probably 20 times over by now. I still think it was in, but until they get some kind of sensors or extend the goalposts, those close kicks are going to always probably go with uh, be iffy. But this team can go all the way. And, and, you know, we don't want to sit here, like Matt said, and give them any kind of uh, bad luck, which I, I don't necessarily believe that we can do, but... This team's talented. This is the best Bills team we've seen in a long time. Do you know how much I love Bills Mafia and I'm having fun doing this show tonight? I'm freezing my butt off because I turned the heater off for these shows <laughs> and it is 20 degrees out and, and I'm in the basement and it's cold. But we're going to keep trucking out because there's a couple more things I want to get to in here. The Tremaine thing too. Um, I'm going to get you out of here, Ryan. Ryan's sitting here looking at his clock like, are we still going? We might make the two-hour. Uh, I mean, we're fine. We've got, we got a lot of good stuff going on here. Um, let's bring this up first because, you know, there's been so much talk over the last couple of years about the Bills trading away that number 10 pick in 17, not drafting Patrick Mahomes, and, you know, they always second-guessing it, right? Now it's almost like the shoe's on the other foot this weekend, and the Broncos – decided not to draft Josh Allen and instead take Bradley Chubb, who's turned out to be a really good pass rusher. But with all the questions that remain about Drew Locke, and maybe you know, one of the questions I probably would have liked to have asked Kyle is how they built around him, offensive coordinator, play caller, quarterbacks coach, all those little things that you know the Bills have done such a good job. They've obviously gotten them weapons. I think uh, KJ Hamler, uh, Jerry Judy, real high ceilings. And Stefan Diggs was complimentary of him today on his conference call. Said I, he knows both of them. His brother obviously played at Alabama with Jerry Judy. Uh, he thinks they're both going to be really good, really talented wide receiver room. But the Bills or but the Broncos could have had Josh Allen, and they chose not to draft him. They could have had Lamar Jackson too. They chose not to draft him. It's probably got to feel nice if you're a Bills fan, being in the side of this matchup that has the quarterback and the other team and fan base wishing they had what you have. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's interesting because who's in charge there in Denver? John Elway, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I think that when you are one of the greatest at something, maybe it almost becomes difficult to evaluate that same position. Because some of the things that you did without any kind of issue, without any kind of uh, problem, you know, John Elway could, could throw a missile in his sleep any day of the week. Maybe when he's evaluating these quarterbacks, he's like, oh, well, they can't do this on a regular basis where I could do that. It'd be like 1995. If I came up to you and I said, Matt, teach me some show tunes, you'd be like, I can't do that. I'm too good. I'm going to be missing because you were just talking about how you could sing back then, right? 
I could still sing, Ryan. Don't don't make me bring <laughs> up the points. I, okay. I wanted to go back to that. I'm sorry. Okay, but it's okay. It's one of those things where if you're so good at something, maybe it's almost hard to teach it or how hard to see it in someone else. And and he's kind of struck out up until this point. Now maybe Drew Locke is the answer. I've seen some really good games out of him uh, last year. I was pretty impressed with his play against Carolina last week. Uh, but then at the same time, I've watched some games where I said, oh, man, how this guy is not the answer. That Patriots game, even though they won, they, they had that game in hand, and he's throwing these deep balls that are getting picked off late in the game. And I'm like, who's calling these plays? Why is so, he making these decisions? Now you brought up something interesting, Ryan. So you, you mentioned like when you're great at something, maybe you're not great at evaluating that thing that you're great at. I agree. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> the greatest right there. Sometimes the great, sometimes some of the greats, I'm not going to say the greatest, but greatest. some of the greats struggle. And you, and I don't know there are, uh, you don't know another area that the, um, <laughs> that LeBron James already has uh, MJ on. He's actually constructed a couple championships teams himself, because as everybody knows, LeBron James puts these, these rosters together. And I think he's, he's put together a couple championship teams. So he's already a better general manager, owner slash, you know, team builder, but that's a whole nother conversation for a different day. I'm sorry. I, I digress. Um, Levi Wallace and, and Josh Norman. Um, the bills went to an interesting um, timeshare uh, rotation between Norman and, and Wallace in this last week's game. Josh Norman actually left that last week's game with a, over 80 grade uh in pro football focus i went back and watched the game and, and and he was really good he was sound he was i feel like in that role in that half 50 percent snaps he was a little bit over that he could be a real asset and i think that you know it alleviates some of the concerns with levi wallace i think that they 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 kind of dabbled in it with figuring it out last year with kevin johnson and now i think that they upgraded with what i think josh norman gives you at his best and i think this is interesting trust me we had the we we were we were pounding the table for Dane Jackson. I think we both like to see a little bit more of the uh, the rookie, but they have confidence in Levi Wallace. They have Josh Norman available. They're paying him six million dollars. They looked good as a tandem last week. They did, and and I'm not gonna lie, the snap count actually caught me off guard a little bit. I didn't realize that he out he played more snaps than Levi Wallace at the end of that game. It, it didn't feel that way, but when he was on the field, he he had I believe a pass defense. Uh, he, he was in the right spot. He wasn't out of place. He knew what he was doing. Obviously, he's a veteran. He knows what he's doing in general. But, he, you know, when, when he had to be the guy in that Tennessee game, he had a rough outing. He doesn't have to be the guy with Trey White out there. Uh, and in a timeshare there with Levi Wallace, too, I think that takes some pressure off of you as a cornerback, knowing, you know, I'm out here for a series or two. I can really go all out for the series or two because then they're going to flip back to Levi, and then I'll get my shot again. It keeps a veteran like that fresh. Uh, it probably helps even Levi Wallace a little bit. You know, we saw him uh, get beat on that play where he he recorded the interception. He was beat. Leave, uh, ben Roethlisberger just threw a, a terribly underthrown ball, and Levi was able to catch up to it, adjust on it, and make a great interception. So kudos to him for that. But maybe he was so fresh that he was able to close that gap on the underthrown ball. I don't know. But at the same time, having a little bit of a platoon there is not a bad thing for this team, getting them some more reps. Because if if one does go down then, then the other, though, is, can say, hey, I have already been playing 25, 30 snaps per game. I can, I can step it up here and play a little bit more there as well. 
I hate to disappoint Dustin, but I'm not going to be sending us out with show tunes tonight. But hey, maybe one of these late night uh, post game shows, uh, it could get it could get a little crazy because I, I get a little loopy and tired. You never know. Before we get out of here, let's let's give our predictions. How do you see this game going between the Bills and Broncos on Saturday? You know, I, I did say on Twitter uh, yesterday, I think, you know, I, I think it could be closer than some fans anticipate. But at the end of the day, this Bills offense has too much talent for a depleted uh, Broncos secondary. So I'm going to say Bills 31, Broncos 14. Okay. So I think I'm going to go Bills 28, Broncos 17. I, I agree with you. I think that this could be a situation where the Bills um, – are able to score, able to move the ball. And I think that the Broncos will be able to do a little bit of their own uh, work in that department. But I just think the Bills secondary is too good for Drew Locke. Uh, I don't see him uh, being able to to put together 60 minutes of mistake-free football. And this team has shown that the, they'll take advantage of mistakes. Uh, so I'm going to go Bills 27, 28. Um, what did I say? 28-17? All right. <laughs> yeah. 28-17. I forgot already. Before we get out of here, one little note on Tremaine Edmonds. And I know a lot of you follow me on Twitter, so you probably saw that I tweeted this out this morning. But there was one little like tidbit from after the um, Pittsburgh game that I forgot to tweet out or do a story on. We were doing the show. I was doing working on some other stuff. And Tremaine Edmonds or Stefan Diggs said something really interesting about Edmonds. And in in the hustle and bustle of you know the excitement after that game, you know, Tremaine Edmonds kind of like took took the floor in the post game locker room and, and and quiet everybody down and basically was like listen you know good good win we um this is just our first step you know we haven't even reached our first step which was winning the division stay humble this is we have uh, more football to play and we have bigger goals and it got me to thinking like how rare that is not that Tremaine Edmonds can be a leader or that he would take that stage. I mean, I remember last year before the Houston Texans game, he stepped up. Lorenzo talked a little bit about it and he basically, you know, gave the message to the team that week and uh, took over. And and, and I I remember that was a big storyline last year. And then he was kind of being groomed in that role. He's very comfortable in the role, but just because somebody's comfortable in the role doesn't stop it from being really like awesome. And cool to see. And, you know, for a guy that took a lot of heat earlier in the season, I mean, both you and I, I think, and maybe not you, but me definitely, you know, there, I, I was a little bit critical of some of his play, even despite the injury. I think the bill that bills fans should be really excited with what they have in a developing still 22 year old middle linebacker. Is that not just unbelievable? There's only four bills on this roster and he was drafted two drafts ago, Tremaine Edmonds that are younger than Tremaine Edmonds on this team. It's, it's pretty special stuff. I tweeted it today. Yeah, and there were linebackers in this year's draft that were older than him coming out. So he is still a really young kid, but he's starting to really take on that leadership role a little bit more each week, each year. Uh, and he's right. I wouldn't be shocked if the, you know the Bills win on uh, Saturday. Yeah, there's going to be a little bit of a celebration winning the division for the first time. Uh, since 1995, but I think the fan base will be the ones that'll be going off the, you know, off the rails, excited about it, where I think the bill, you know, they'll wear the t-shirts, they'll wear the hats, but they're going to say the same message. This is the first step. We didn't come into this season to win the division. We came in with a much bigger plan in mind, obviously that being the Super Bowl. 
Uh, and, and winning the division, it'd be great. It'd be in one of those other things you can cross off your list if you're a Bills fan saying, oh, I'm sick of you know seeing the graphic that shows the Colts, the team that's not even in the division uh, anymore, having won it before you know more recently than the Bills. It'd be nice to have the Bills leapfrog them and, and, and say that they've won the division. But this year, I came in and I said, it's all about winning at least one playoff game. And now I'm thinking I, I may have undersold it. I, I don't know if one is enough anymore. That's how good this team is. That's how special this team can be if they're firing in all cylinders. We just dropped a two-hour pod on your faces, Bills Mafia. I hope you enjoyed it. This was uh, We had a great time doing it. And uh, uh, if you join late, we, we put together our preview episode, which we usually do on Fridays, the game Saturday. Uh, so that won't have a l- enough shelf life. And so we wanted to combine it all in this one. Uh, you can get it on all of the audio platforms. If you came in for a snippet and you want to go back and listen to the old, the whole thing at your convenience, find us on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, uh, Podbean, any, anywhere you get your podcast, subscribe to the shop Buffalo football podcast. Give us a rating and review while you're there, if you will, and have yourself a great week as we uh, get inch closer and closer to the playoffs here. I mean, uh, it, it's going to be uh, a wild December, wild January, uh, and we're looking forward to covering it. Um, and uh, we might be uh, getting on the road here uh, once the playoffs come. Uh, crossing my fingers, hopefully, you know, these numbers are uh, are, are doable, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, it would be phenomenal if we could get some travel involved here after the, you know, the way 2020 has been for everyone in America. Uh, You know, and I know a lot of the Bills fans watched that Browns game and said, hey, why can't we have a little bit of fans in in the crowd like that? I'm hoping all the best come playoff time, but I I wouldn't uh, hold my breath on it either. But it it would be nice if some fans could, uh, could see a playoff game for sure. All right, guys. Go get some sleep. It's 10 o'clock on the East Coast. Thank you to our our, our, our viewers in Alaska, who I think I, I just saw Sonny check in. And to PJ, my friend on YouTube, one of our most uh, faithful viewers. Enjoy another Tops commercial. Have a night. Ready for football? With every game a home game, Tops is ready for you with its TV a day giveaway. For six weeks, every day you shop is a new chance to win a massive 70-inch 4K TV. Shop Tops for the best deals in town, in-store.